Take your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Nothing ought to keep you from the Lord's house because of what Christ has done, because of what He continues to do, and because of what He's going to do in the future. John chapter 20, and I want to start in verse 24 through 29. As you're turning there, Brother Andy, blessings to you. I know you give the Lord all the honor and the glory, but I appreciate you, appreciate your work uh, and to getting this service together today. John chapter 20, verse 24, the Bible says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger in the, in, into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, Jesus came, and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. And he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There was a pastor of a church that was growing. People were getting saved. People were being baptized. But just as many people that were coming to church in the front door, the back door was wide open. And many who came to know Christ after a couple of years, they were no longer in the church. In fact, his church was very similar to a lot of Southern Baptist churches that the on average of 12 new converts, 12 new believers that come to know Christ in about five years, 10 of them will not be in the church because of some other things, different things. And I'll go over some of those in just a second. So what he did in his church is he took 12 new Christians who had given their life to Christ and invited them over to his home he wanted to encourage them. But he wanted, him to, uh, he wanted to, to share in utmost honesty what may happen in the future. So as he gathered these together, he said, two of you, of these twelve, two of you in the next five years, your marriages will break up. And your feelings of shame will cause you to leave the church. He says, three of you will have some kind of conflict with someone in the church, and you also will leave the church. He said, one of you will experience a tragedy and lose faith. You too will leave the church. Two of you, he says, will have some sort of moral failing and will leave the church because of shame and embarrassment. Two of the four remaining will simply lose interest and drift away from the church for no obvious reasons. In two or three years, utmost of five years, out of this group of twelve, he said only two of you will still be attending church. And he said only one of you will still be attending this church. The reason why the pastor wanted to meet with these twelve, he wanted to change the trend of his church. He said, Brother John, what, what kind of church is that? That's an average church. If you look through the history... So these twelve said, how can we stop this trend? 
How can we stop this from happening to our church? We don't want to go through any of those things. And if we do go through some of those tragedies or failures in life, I pray that it will not keep us from attending church, that Jesus Christ is alive and well, and we want to be faithful in the Lord's house no matter what may come into our life. So they asked the pastor, what can we do? And the pastor met with them. And he said, in the midst of all of our shortcomings, in the midst of all of our imperfections, always keep Christ, the resurrected Lord, in the forefront of your mind and keep an outward focus when it comes to church and be a part of a small group that will hold you accountable and will encourage you through those, t- through, through, through those times. But never forget that Jesus is alive and well. If you keep that in the forefront of your mind, He said, I'll still see you in five years. Jesus, as He's talking to His disciples in John chapter 20, this is after the resurrection. In fact, the story we read this morning, the passage picks up eight days after the resurrection of Christ. This is about 30 or 40 days prior to Jesus being ascended ascended in heaven and the new church starting. And these disciples are saying, well, what are we going to do? What's going to happen in five years? And Jesus is trying to pull off the layers of what it means to not only see but also to believe. The message entitled this morning is Just Believe. And there's so much more than just believing in Jesus. Even Satan believes in Jesus. But the word believe in John's Gospel, you'll never see the word faith in John's Gospel. He chooses to translate the the original word for faith to the term believe. So when he says the term believe, what he's talking about is so much more than just believing in your mind. But because you believe, it transforms you and causes you to be someone different because Jesus Christ is living inside of you. In John chapter 20, verse 24, the Bible says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to Him, We have seen the Lord. And He said to them, Unless I see His hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into His side, I'm not going to believe. Thomas a lot of times is... He's the one that we look at as Christians and say, Well, I don't want to ever be like Thomas. Doubting Thomas is what we call him. But be careful when you say that because I believe many Christians today find ourselves just like Thomas. Thomas was a realist. Thomas wanted to see evidence for anything that he believed. Thomas was very practical in his his theology, very practical in, in in his way of life. And Thomas in Scripture, especially in John's Gospel, is always the one that speaks up and gives a very honest answer. John chapter 11, you remember as Jesus and His disciples are about to go to Jerusalem because Lazarus is dead. And Thomas knew that if Jesus goes back to Jerusalem, that it's going to cost him his life because many people are coming after Jesus and if they find Him, they're going to kill Him. So you remember what, what, what Thomas said, John chapter 11, verse 16, he says, let's go and let's go die with Him. He just looked at the evidence. We go back to Jerusalem, we're dying. 
You remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus is talking to His disciples. This is very, uh, very uh, uh, a short time before the crucifixion. He's talking to His disciples and, and Jesus is encouraging them saying, Look, I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I go, uh, you can come to where I am. And you remember what Thomas said, Lord, how can we know the way? Where are you going? And that's when Jesus said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Thomas was one who always gave that, that, that very honest answer. Well, the night after the resurrection, his disciples were meeting. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there. Maybe because Thomas was still a doubter. The last thing on Thomas's mind was the death of Jesus. The evidence of a man who is dead, taken off a cross and putting into a sealed tomb with guards in the front, Thomas said, no, I don't want any of that. And his disciples are, are meeting together with the ladies. Eight days later, Thomas is there. Jesus walks through the doors that were shut. And the Bible says that he, he as, as he's there. But before that, in verse 25, he tells his disciples, I need to see proof. I need to see the prints of his hands. I need to see the nail in his side. It's not just enough for his disciples to say, we've seen the Lord. Thomas says, I need to, I, I got to see it for myself. So there's three things this morning I want you to ponder for a few minutes. Number one is this, is I want you to see the prince of a changed man. The prince of a changed man. The Bible says here in verse 25 that the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the, the print, there it is, of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I, I, I will not believe. The word put in my hand, it means to shove. Thomas says, I want to see Jesus and I want to see those prints in his hands and I want to shove my hand into his side. It's not just a glance from a distance, but to actually see if Jesus is robed. What Thomas said, I want to pull that robe back and see the actual mark of Jesus. I don't want to see anybody else that looks like Him. I, I know what I saw eight days ago, and that was Jesus on a cross dying, and nobody has ever been crucified and resurrected. Thomas said, I want to see the prince of a changed man. I want to see Jesus and I want to, I, I, I want to just see that. I want the evidence. Jesus has always told us when I asked questions, Jesus answered those. John 14, Thomas asked a question. Jesus answered. He wants to see the prince of a Savior. You may be here this morning and you may be skeptical. You may be a lot like Thomas. You may say, Brother John, I am a, I am a black and white guy. i got to have evidence. And I'm here this morning. Somebody invited me and I'm here on this Easter service. And, 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 and I hear about the music and I hear about Jesus. But I need, some, I need the honest, uh, you know, Jesus is not here. So how do we know that what we believe is actually the truth? Why am I supposed to just believe? Why am I supposed to, 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 to have a life that is transformed? Man, if Jesus was really here and He showed me those scars that He died for me, it would be a whole lot easier for me to come to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, He's not going to do that. When He comes again, He's taking His children home to heaven. 
But what he has done today was commissioned his disciples, all the believers that are in this room, to go out and to be the marks of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Brother John, where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Write this down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And I want you to listen to this verse. This is what the Bible says. Paul is, is writing to the church of Thessalonica, and this is what he says. He says, you became followers of us, Paul, and of the Lord Jesus, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became, and the Bible uses the term, examples. New National Version uses the word model. It's a word that can mean model, it can mean example, it can mean image of. And the Bible says you became examples to all those in Macedonia, all those in, in Achaia, to all who believe. What Paul says is you became that mark, that example to all those who have belief. Can I give you another translation for the word example? Remember I told you it can mean example, it can mean model, it can mean image. Can I tell you how John translates that word? Print. Print. It's the same exact word. And what Paul says is, he says, you became followers of the Lord, having received in, 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 in the word in much affliction, joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became the print. To those in Macedonia and those that you became the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ has told us to go and to share the gospel and to lift up His holy name. And we bear the marks. Paul says we bear the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not coming down the aisle showing His hands and showing His side. But what He is doing is saving people every single day. And we are the living proof that Jesus Christ has died and He has risen again. We are the living proof that His hands has forgiven our sin. We are the living proof that He died and He rose again. And we are new creations, new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why we want you to just believe is because there are a prince of a changed man, changed woman, changed teenager, changed child, all throughout this place how Jesus Christ has changed individuals' lives life. Now lost people, if, you're not, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I hope and this is the challenge for Christians what evidence in your life proves that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? What evidence in your life separates you from those who worship Islam. So you can't say, well, I'm religious. You can't say, well, we come to worship. You can't say you give an offer. People all over the world do that for their dead gods. But what evidence in your life proves that the prince of the Lord Jesus, that there are prince of changed people all across this room? I remember as, as, as a father and you, you young parents here today, when, when you go to the store and buy band-aids for young boys, you don't get the regular tan-colored band-aids. Especially if your child is with you, it has to be a superhero band-aid. Spider-Man, uh, Superman, Batman, uh, uh, 1980s folks, He-Man. Y'all remember those? 
So when you go and you buy these band-aids, your toddler becomes very destructive because they want to be able to find some type of boo-boo or some type of wound so they can go to the cabinet or go to you and say, I need a band-aid. Well, where are you hurting? Well, i got a scratch right there. Well, I don't see it, but yeah, if you're hurting, I need one of those band-aids. So you go and you get the band-aid. No, 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 I want Superman. And they put Superman on, and they come to church, and they go to school, and guess what happens? They're walking around like this. Because they want everybody to see that band-aid. It's not even about the wound. It's about showing people who's covering the wound. When you give your life to Lord Jesus Christ, you've got all types of wounds seen. And friend, it's not really about walking through the world and talking about all of the wounds that are in your life. It's about the one who is covering up your wounds. And His name is Jesus. The one who forgave you of your wounds. The one who is alive and well inside of you. Thomas said, I need to see that. I need to see the prince of the Savior. Number, number two, not only the prince of a Savior, I mean the prince of a changed man, but, but, but Thomas wants proof of a changed man. Unless I shove my hand in there, I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, the next Sunday night, they're gathering together. The Bible says in verse 27, I mean verse 26, and again after eight days, His disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then He said to Thomas, it's as if Jesus walked in a closed door, said, Peace to you, and then He zeroed in on Thomas. He says, Reach your finger here and look at My hands. He says, reach your hand here and, and shove it into my side. Here it is, Thomas. He says, don't be unbelieving, but believing. Not only the prince of a changed man, but here is the proof of a changed man. And he thrust his hand into his side. And Jesus tells him, don't be unbelieving, but believing. It's a play on words, the last part of verse 27. The phrase right there, do not be, it means to become not. He says, Thomas, don't become a hardened unbeliever. Everyone in this room is growing in one way or the other. You're either growing in your faith, or you're growing in your unbelief. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior today, if you never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus for Him to save you today, that unbelief is growing. And it grows. And it grows. That's why I believe if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, today's a day of salvation. You can't wait till tomorrow. You can't wait till the next day. You're not promised that day. But number two, your unbelief continues to grow. And what he tells Thomas is, is don't, don't be unbelieving. Don't become that person. Here's the proof that Jesus Christ died and He rose again. Hey, put your hand here. Put it into my side. Don't become unbelieving. In fact, He says it's not just believing, but He says be trustworthy. Don't be untrustworthy, but instead trust. Put your faith and your trust in Me is what Thomas is saying, is what Jesus is saying. 
Thomas was on the verge of becoming this, this hardened unbeliever. Someone has said this, that the most outrageous doubter of the resurrection of Jesus, he utters the greatest confession of the Lord that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Here, is, here it is in verse 28. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. The most skeptical doubter of the resurrection now makes one of the most profound statements about the resurrection. My Lord and my God. Proof. Proof to a sinner. Brother John, how do you know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? How do you know He's alive and well? Their proof is all around you. Their proof is in the believers who know Jesus, who have trusted in Him, and who walk by faith. Their proof is in the Word of God that everything Jesus said, it came to pass. But let me close with verse 29. The Bible says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen Me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We have seen the print of a changed man, the proof of a changed man. In his statement, my Lord and my God. And I want you to see the promise to a changed man. The promise of a changed man or a changed life. The Bible says in verse 29, and Jesus has an has a awesome way of, of including you and me because as He's speaking to Thomas, He's thinking about you. And he understands that when he ascends up into heaven, there's going to be a lot of people. He also understands that when Jesus, before he ascends up into heaven, there's a lot of skeptical people that don't believe in Jesus. They're saying his body has been stolen. They're saying he just never really died. He kind of, he kind of uh, just, just went in a coma-like state and he really never died. They're saying that some stole the body of Jesus. And he understands that and he says, Thomas... Because you have seen me, you have believed. You've put your trust. You've put your faith. And then he says, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed. Isn't it good to know that 2,000 years later, Jesus was thinking about you. He was thinking about you that the time was coming when you were going to be at First Baptist Church on this March 27th day, or any time in your life when you gave your life to Jesus, and for some it may be today, that He was thinking about you. Blessed are those who have not seen Jesus, yet they believe because of the print of a changed life, because of the proof of a changed life, and because of the promise that if you give your life to Jesus, you can be changed. There's a promise behind that. This is one of two Beatitudes in John's Gospel. He doesn't use it a lot. Matthew is, a, is, is notorious for using Beatitudes, especially in Matthew chapter 5. But in John chapter 11, he says, Blessed are those who, who talking about the, the, the washing of the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, let me give you the verse. Verse 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Talking about the example of being a servant for the Lord. And then he gives this second beatitude here in verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. It's the promise of a changed life. Bruce Larson said this, he said, The events of Easter cannot be reduced to a creed or philosophy. We're not asked to believe the doctrine of the resurrection. We're asked to meet this person raised from the dead in faith. We move from belief to a doctrine to a knowledge of a person. Ultimate truth is a person. We met Him. He is alive. 
life. I'm not asking you, and the Lord's not asking you to believe in some type of doctrine. It's not to convince you to believe in the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus. It's to persuade you through the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ can change your life. And if you're a believer this morning, that you would be one who is in a faith that is growing. You would be one who is, when you gave your life to Christ years ago or months ago or days ago, that you're still in church and you're worshiping and you're serving a risen God because He is alive and well in you and He put inside of you a power that not even the gates of hell could overcome. That's your life. And you're growing in that. And you're showing those prints of your changed life out into the world that's lost and dying. Back in 1933, a pastor was listening to the radio and he was listening to a preacher and this is what the preacher said. He said, it's Easter and it doesn't make any difference if Christ to be risen or not. Shocked, this individual whose name was A.H. Ackley, Alfred Ackley, shouted, it's a lie. He is risen. He has risen from the dead. His wife said, well, why don't you write a song about it? Reading the Gospels over and over again, reading the, the Gospels over and over again, and coming up to the statement, He is risen and feeling the presence of God. He penned this song. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living Whatever men may say, I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. Christ the Lord, He is risen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The promise of a changed life. I'm going to ask all across this room this morning, if you would, just to bow your heads. Here on the bottom floor, here in the balcony, wherever you may be this morning, if you would, just to bow your head. And as we prayed for every individual that's here today, as we prayed for those who, who, who we know, those who we don't know, as we prayed for you, here's the one thing we prayed for the most. We prayed that if somebody came through the doors of First Baptist Church, that they'd hear the Gospel and respond to it. So I want to ask you this morning, all across this room in the balcony, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Say, I'm not asking if you believe in Jesus. I'm asking you, is, has Jesus changed your life? Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? The prints are all around you that Jesus can change lives. The proof is there that Jesus is alive and well and He's coming again. And the promise is, if you trust in Him and repent of your sins, He too can change your life and do something for you that nobody else in this world can do. 
And that's to forgive you of your sins and give you new life in Christ. And today all across this room, I want to give you that opportunity. Because that's the, that's the, that's the major reason why we exist today as a body of Christ. is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but to also give people an opportunity to trust in Him and to believe and to accept what many of us have already done. And that's the trust in Jesus as your Savior. So if you're here today and you say, Brother John, I'm not sure. How do I do that? How do I come to know Christ? What, I, what do I need to do? The first step in coming to know Christ is to realize that you need Him. And everybody in this world needs Him. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how good you're trying to live in God's standards, the Bible says you are a sinner. And that's why Jesus died for you. So realize that you need Him. Number two, believe that Jesus died for you. You wasn't there. I wasn't there. But He died. And He rose again on the third day. And you believe that with all your heart and you confess your sins to Jesus. And you say, Jesus, I need, I need forgiveness for my sins and I want to invite you to come in my heart today. So what I want you to do, I want to walk you through. Walk you through an opportunity where you, right where you sit, can invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. This is not some magic formula. And many people may do this and it may not mean anything to them. But for those that it's genuine and it's honest and you're in your heart, God is convicting you and you know you need to trust in Him as your Savior. Right where you're at, you can pray. You can open up your heart and say, Lord Jesus, today I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that You died on the cross for my sins. Today, I confess my sins to You. And I invite You to come into my heart and to be my Lord and to be my Savior. And this morning, if you've asked Jesus to come in your heart, you know what? He saved you. And He can continue to change. Change your life forever and ever and ever. Just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. It's an opportunity where we stand and we sometimes sing and we pray. So everybody's like, what do I do next? I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure how to approach the next thing. What I'm going to ask that you do is do something bold. If you prayed this morning and you asked Jesus Christ to save you, and you're willing and ready to take that next step in your walk with Christ, which I encourage you to. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. He said, after I pray, when everybody stands, I want you just to come and to step out from where you're at and to come. I'm down here in the front. Brother Jeremy, our youth and children's minister is down here in the front. We can talk about your decision. We can, we can walk you through a little bit more if we need to. Maybe there's some unanswered questions. Maybe there's some reluctance. And we want to walk you through and help you to understand the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life, and that's trusting in Jesus as your Savior. So in just a moment, I want you to come. Christian, there may be other decisions you need to make today. Maybe you need to come and pray. You need to say, God, help me to be the prince in the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world to see that people can be changed. Father, we love You today. God, we pray today, Lord, throughout this invitation, Lord, those who have prayed, 
those who have responded to you, God, that you'd give them the courage down here on this bottom floor in our balcony to step out from where they're at and to come down and to take this step of faith and to say, I'm not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. If somebody died for my sins and rose from the dead and is King and Lord of all and one day coming back to take His children home, then I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. So I pray, Lord, all across this room, God, You would give courage for those to be able to come and to stand publicly for You. God, those who need to make other decisions, those who need to be a part of this fellowship or other uh, uh, public decisions they need to make, Lord, I challenge You to, to give them the courage to challenge them to be able to come in Jesus' name. What I want you to do, I want you just to 